I'm ready when you are. You can feel the country's on the knife edge. It's only, what, 30 minutes late starting? Let's do this! <laughs> it's a joke, obviously. You are in retreat. We're not rioting yet. I don't like that question. You're just saying shit and you don't even know what you're talking about. That spider game sounds way cooler than manta rays, doesn't it? And I was like, well, here's my two cents. You, you, you need a lot of stuff. That's how we should describe the podcast. If they ever went out and recruited one more person, then we'd have double the number of people listening. Well then. Let's start the show. Oh my god, we're back again. And so soon. Yeah. Do you know what song that's from? Oh my god, we're back again, is that what you said? Yeah. Um, have I started the show like this before? I feel like I I might have because I always uh, want in to. In that case, it's going to be tragically hip. No, no. Oh, oh, that means that means you're aware of other bands. What was wow. you, you weren't you weren't hip to the '90s boy band scene? A, a group hmm. of boys who were back on the street. Backstreet Boys. That's the one. Yeah, no, because I was uh, heterosexual in the nineties. <laughs> hey, let's not uh, cast stereotypes around here. No stereotypes. I was just playing on your homosexuality in the nineties. Flash. <laughs> well, we not all stereotype. We all Fact. experimented at one point, right? Well, no. Yeah. Oh my God, we're back again. It's like literally every show we we do. I want to start with that. And I almost okay. feel like if we had rights to the song, that would be our theme song. However, well, until um, I get in touch with, you know, the boys from the street, uh, we'll roll with what we have. But uh, well, welcome, listeners. Yeah, well, welcome, listeners. I apologize for that little brief musical interlude uh, there. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm not in charge of the editing of this show. Otherwise, we would start from around about here. <laughs> As opposed to the two minutes that you've just subjected you to. So my apologies. Flash is the uh, producer and editor of this one. So uh, you're stuck with it, I'm afraid. Um, that's right. That's right. Flash, let's let's cut through all the hellos, the niceties, and the going back to the 90s and living with the Backstreet Boys and other things that you did in the 90s that we won't talk about. Let's talk more important things. We've not had an Ebola update for a little while. And guess what? It's back. Oh, my God. It's back again. See, it's like I teed you up for that. Um, yeah, it's early days, so don't get your hopes up, listeners. It might not be a full-fledged epidemic just yet. Um, oh, if that's what, If that's what you are gunning for. Uh, so, yeah, the, the Democratic Republic of the Congo um, has, uh, yeah, 44 possible cases. Um, they think there's 44 people possibly infected. Uh, there's three confirmed deaths so far and um, another 20 unconfirmed related to Ebola. They, 20 people have died. They're not, you know, they're not mm. confirmed if they're dead or not. They're not prodding them with a stick to see if they're still breathing. <laughs> um, but the big, big difference this time that they're worried about is it's actually moved into the city. So it's 
Whereas before, mainly the outbreaks had been through small villages and yeah. towns. Outbreaks moved into the cities. In, in this country have only been in... Yes, Because exactly. obviously so, the last big one did hit the cities in... Uh, in where was it again? Well, it's funny you should say that, Flash, because I was just about to get to the next line of my facts before ah, you, uh, you set me up for that one. Uh, yeah, so in the 2014 to 2016 outbreak where around about 11,300 people died, yeah, um, that occurred in the capital cities of uh, Sierra Leone, Liberia, and Guinea. Right. So the concern is that, you know, it's back and it's in a major city. Um so it could mean business this time. So, uh, yeah, we we potentially have to slot the Ebola update section back into the podcast. Yeah, I mean, we do seem to love to talk about it, but it is a potentially scary situation for the continent of Africa because, yeah, um, it's very likely that, you know, we saw what happened last time. So if it's not um, contained right away, uh, I guess there's some encouraging um, signs, I guess, I saw. Uh, I, I haven't had a chance to look into it all too, too much, but some of the vaccines that they've been working on, these experimental vaccines, um, I, I guess they're going to they're gonna deploy them um, in this current outbreak. So we'll see if that uh, maybe, you know, helps, helps keep the, the spread down. And it'll be a good trial, I guess, too, for to see if these vaccines, how well they work. Um, could turn out that we have a pretty good new weapon in the fight against Ebola. But uh, well, that, we shall that's see. if the vaccines aren't a big conspiracy, because we, you know, right? Yeah. What I mean by vaccines being a weapon is that they literally are a weapon being deployed against the African people to keep them in, you know, line in check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. by the yeah, colonial definitely. powers. Yeah, that along with the chemtrails, that's basically keeping the population down and <laughs> locked into their continent. So, uh, yeah, watch this space, people. So, yeah, potentially some more Ebola's to come. But anyway, we didn't even do our little Ebola. You have to edit that bit in, Flash. Yeah, right. uh, <laughs> along with, as you're editing yourself out from the opening, I would suggest. But, no, 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 it's all staying. It's all staying. Um, Flash, why don't you take us... Uh, Grab hold of the reins and take us on the first journey of the first story of uh, tonight's show. Well, the first story behind, by, besides Ebola, I mean, you know, Ebola, what a tough act to follow. But um, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep with something, a topic that's just as distasteful. It's just bleeding orifice. Yeah, yeah, it's just as is horrible to talk about. Um, you may have seen in science circles on Twitter that there was uh, a bit of controversy or how would you say it on the on the British Isles? Controversy? Hoo-ha. A hoo-ha. <laughs> a hoo-ha. Yeah. Um, surrounding one Dr. James Watson, one of the co-discoverers of DNA. One half of Watson and Crick. One half of Watson and Crick. That's correct. So the 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 big hubbub was that Ooh, he, hubbub. nice word yeah thank you he was <laughs> honored i guess in a in a speech um at, at a meeting of some society some biological society and forgive me for not knowing the specific details of which meeting it was and all, and et cetera et cetera but the person oh, damn it flash how much research have you done on this story uh enough to get not, outraged 
just a just a cursory <laughs> amount to so that I can feed the outrage machine. <laughs> About 140 characters of research yeah, right. is yeah, basically yeah, exactly. what you're saying, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, multiple 140 character oh, okay. uh, yeah. threads that I followed. No, but it's basically he was honored at some speech, and I guess the man has a history, and it's not the first time I'd heard about it—a history of being of making very misogynistic remarks and racist remarks that. According to his detractors, you know, he uses very shaky science to sort of back up, you know, these ideas of why different races might not be as smart or um, women not being good in the lab because of emotion, it, their emotions and stuff it, like this. Is it down to DNA? Is that why they're it's, not as smart and yeah. not as good? Apparently, well, there you go. He, he should know. He's the expert. He found the stuff. Right. Apparently, he likes to take any link he can to those things and stretch it as tenuously as tenuously as possible and uh and give these speeches so he's kind of i guess a lot of people in the community are like you know this guy's an asshole um he treated uh a woman who was involved with the discovery of dna um shoot and now i forgot her name franklin rose rosia rosalind franklin yes that's the one yeah thanks um apparently he treated her really shitty and she's you know doesn't get all the credit that she deserves anyway the point is is that you know the guy obviously did good things for science but he clearly has this spotty track record and my wife just sent me a story my wife Teresa sent me a story about now the a guy who did you know basically the first work on Asperger's and autism spectrum disorder Dr. Asperger, uh, and it turns out that he might have been a Nazi collaborator. When people uh, thought at one point he might have been actually saving children from going to laboratories where they would be experimented on or exterminated for having um, mental defects, uh, new new uh, documents have surfaced that that show that he might have actually been a little more complicit than we thought. Uh, yeah, I I saw this story a couple of weeks back and it i i kind of read it and i i actually stopped reading halfway through because it it just sickened me so much not you know whether he was involved or not that's a matter for debate and reviewing the evidence but just you know sending kids to euthanasia clinics i it, i just had to stop reading i couldn't yeah it's uh it's a tough one to to swallow um and so you know the reason i bring up both of those things is you know, this idea, we're seeing it now in popular culture, too, with the celebrities that are being um, outed for naughty behavior, um, the Kevin Spaceys, the Bill Cosbys. But it's like, what do you, how do you deal with um, separating the work from the character? And should you separate the work from the character? Or is it all tainted, you know? Um, yeah, there was a call with uh, Dr. Hen's Asperger for people to now be, you know, there was members of the community saying, you know, well, we should just stop using this term, you know, and then there's other sides saying, well, just because the disease is named after him, it's not really like it's, uh, or the disorder is named after him. It's not like it's, that's, that's an honor. It's just, it's just common vernacular. And I mean, it's almost kind of a mute point because in the DSM-5 that, 
you know, the, the standard manual for diagnosing mental disorders, they've dropped that term since two, 2013. Right. So it's like, it's kind of, you know, dying out anyway. We have new terms for it, you know, autism, autism disorder spectrum, all these things. But I think it's an interesting conversation that is, you know, maybe started in popular culture and is now moving into science. You know, how well, do we I'm, deal with these things when we find out now that, you know, in some of these circles, these people were, well, Nazis or, you know, more recently, misogynistic assholes? Well, and, yeah, I know. And I guess two two things. So one I'll, I'll, is my thought, and then I'll maybe tee up for your, your next thought on this as well. So obviously, you know, similar to going back to the Nazi era, there's all the data that was discovered when basically the Nazis were doing medical testing on people. Yeah, yeah, non-consenting human subjects, and there's been a lot of debate in the medical world of what should we use that data, you know, because you know potentially it was unethical, totally unethical. Potentially, well, potentially. you're still leaving a little wiggle room there. <laughs> you well, for those who want to use it, I haven't made up my mind. But then, and then obviously the other argument is, well, we have that data now, and what you know, we can go back and repeat years and years of different types of experiments, obviously not repeating the same ones, to generate the same data, or we can accept that the way we got that data is totally wrong, but build upon it and move move forward. So I think that's that's the first point there, slightly skewed. And then the other point is, as we sort of talked about in the build-up to the, the show off-air, um, yeah, this is happening with scientists and also with celebrities. And if you think of celebrities like Kevin Spacey is a great example the film K-Pax, I think, is a really great film. I went to try and find it the other day on online. You can't find it anywhere. It's been taken down. Really? You know, a lot a lot of his stuff has been started to be taken down, or you can still find it, but it's it's not advertised, you know, it's on not the main displayed, yeah. Yeah. Um so you just think, well, if we start discrediting scientists because of the way they are around other people, or they might be racist or sexist. Does the same thing happen? Do we stop naming Asperger's Asperger's? Do we start taking away, you know, certain prizes and things? A bit of a Pandora's box, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's interesting because with science, you know, it's not it's not like, okay, well, shit, I can't see that movie anymore. Or I can't find that movie anymore. It's like, well, no, if the work is solid work, you know, in the case of, the Asperger's you know, diagnosis and, 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 and sort of, he was the first to really, you know, document the symptoms and stuff like that. And I think he even gave sort of birth to the idea of it being a spectrum, you know, which then would lead to the genetic links to it, you know, all the different genetic theories behind it, where it's not just an on and off switch, you know, there's a, you know, genes working in a, in a network. So it's like, there's a spectrum to it. So, I mean, you can't just ignore that stuff. I mean, it's one thing to ignore a movie because the guy's, you know, disgraced actor or whatever, but this data is potentially good data. So, you, so I don't think you can ignore it. Um, I saw one person on Twitter, you know, saying, yes, you have to give credit in terms of like, this person made this discovery, this data, whatever, but do we have to laud them? No. And then the argument becomes, well, is accreditation the same as, you know, honor or, you know, that respect kind of thing? Um, another 
I think, a good way of dealing with it. It's kind of walking the fence. I think some people will say it's not enough, but there's a, and this is, again, I'll use a celebrity example with uh, Mr. R. Kelly. I don't know if you're aware of who R. Kelly is. Uh, my mind says yes, but my body says no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Famous R&B singer. Got a lot of allegations uh, of sexual misconduct. This is R. Kelly, not not me we're talking yeah. <laughs> about, just to clarify people. That's right. Um, behind his name and because of the wave of, you know, um, awareness around this kind of thing, he's starting to get uh, more vocal opponents popping up being like, why are we still like this guy? We Nothing has stuck. You know, he hasn't actually been charged with anything, but there's all this stuff lingering around you know, rumors and whatnot so spotify what they chose to do is like they're not going to remove all of his catalog of stuff you know but they're just not going to promote it they're just not going right. to advertise it it's not going to be it's, part of it's like it's not in their playlists and yeah, yeah all exactly that. Yeah. that kind of thing so it's kind of like that's kind of the middle road and i i kind of i think that's a good way of doing it it's like look at the, the body of work is still what it is you can enjoy it if you want um but because of the past or his allegations or whatever we're not going to go out there and flaunt it so i think the same can kind of be done for science but except that you can't just like quietly put this aside and be like well you can look at it if you want it's like what if it's really relevant data you know how yeah, do you, I, it's like we'll take I, your data but you sir are an asshole and <laughs> we don't want you talking about it we'll talk about it for you i, I don't well, know not, it's a tricky one yeah, it is a tricky one, I, and I also think a lot of, and I'm not saying it's right, but a lot of character. You know, if you think of some of the really great scientists that you you maybe know or know of, a lot of them tend to be quite eccentric in some way, yeah, and quite driven and quite focused. And maybe, you know, I've heard a lot of people say, well, they're on the spectrum. Maybe a lot of scientists aren't good around people, and because they're so. This is, this narrowly is, focused on what they do. Now, I'm not saying it's right that they don't know how to socially interact correctly with people and that they're assholes potentially in certain cases. But I think also without that eccentricity and that narrow focus, you also don't have the brilliance and you don't have some of the discoveries maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. They talk about this um, with famous people in general, um, like famous athletes too, like Michael Jordan apparently is a real jerk. But it's like in order to be that driven to be, you know, you kind of have to be a bit arrogant, cocky, you know, full of yourself. But I think there's yeah. a difference between that and being like outright misogynistic, racist. Yeah. You know, or in cases that are coming out now where you are, you know, assaulting, sexually assaulting grad students or like groping them or something, you know, like. So there is a difference between like you can be a jerk for sure and yeah, not yeah. have yeah, friends. Totally, totally. But, you know, there's a line that gets crossed. But again, it's this idea of what do we what do we do with the data? So I mean, we, we could go back and forth on this all day, but I'll I'll just I'll throw in my what I'm willing to do. I say keep the data. You have to keep the data. You have to you know, you can't you can't whitewash. You can try and whitewash history in terms of we don't want this person in the books anymore or we don't want his movies on the shelf anymore or whatever. But when it comes to scientific knowledge, you know it's you, it's it's your it's a it's a detriment to society and to humanity to to try and whitewash that. Knowledge, yeah, I, regardless yeah, of where I, it came from, I would agree. I, I think it's you know we can't erase 
there's lots of things that have come from bad things we say and you can't erase that what you can do is learn from it educate from it and not repeat it that right. for me is the important thing and but also don't intentionally go out to be an asshole be racist sexist you know a fucking megalomaniac and kill people to discover your own things probably fairly important as well i would think yeah, yeah. <laughs> i would think i would think yeah. we've learned yeah. the lesson i'm not an expert on these matters but you know <laughs> that'd be my be my thoughts anyway yeah, i'm gonna tune in next podcast nazis good bad, <laughs> bad we discuss. yeah, we'll, yeah we'll, we'll have a we'll have a vote we'll see if it's a, a split split decision on that one yeah um i'm gonna i'm gonna move us away from this um cheery topic into um well yeah a, a, a fun story i think but a potentially interesting one uh memory transplants yeah, this was this was a big headline I was seeing going around, and I've not seen anything about it. So whatever you tell me, I will believe wholeheartedly. Okay, well, yeah, basically there's a company that's been set up that will transplant memories from one human... No, I'm joking. That hasn't happened. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was ready to be like, are you serious? <laughs> well, actually, there is a company being set up to do that, but they've discovered that in the process it kills both humans, which... Yeah. Mm, Bit of a flaw. But anyway, no, back to this story. So memory transplants, what I didn't add on to that opening headline was in snails. So, you know. Well, you know what they say, snails never forget. Well, stick with me uh, (laughs) and uh, I'll take you on a a quick journey. Wow. I hope, hopefully not. So basically there's um, a team, it was published, um, I believe this week, a team of people working at UCLA in California. um, And they have, successfully managed to transfer memories from one snail into another. Um, and the way they, they did this is interesting, but then the because of the way they did this, this then opens up another potential field of research. So I'll try and walk you through it in the best I can, being of a bear of little brain in this area. So basically what Just they did... Just go at they, a snail's pace. And... Oh, <laughs> I see what you did there. Ah, oh, right. You threw me off track there. Right. <laughs> um, so what they did is they they transferred RNA from one snail into another. And what they did is before they transferred the, the uh, RNA, they trained one half of these snails to develop a defensive reflex. Now, this sounds a little bit cruel, and we could go back to whether we use the data or not, but they said that actually it's not cruel. Um <laughs> What they did is they applied mild electric shocks to the tails of the marine snail. Yeah. Um, and what they discovered is, as you can imagine, they retracted their tails. They don't like electric shocks. What they discovered is if if they uh, repeated that exposure, then mm. the ones that had it repeated in would protract their tails for longer. So they'd curl up in their shells for, for longer. And what they discovered is um, the ones that were repeatedly shocked would retract for about 50 seconds. Okay. So they okay. That, that was the learned behavior. After so many shocks, they were just like, fuck it, we're staying yeah. in here for 50 exactly. seconds. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas the ones that weren't trained so much, they just had the one and that was it, retracted for on average one second. So okay. a big difference. Yeah. So that's, that's the baseline. What they then did is transferred RNA from the snails that retracted for 50 seconds and put them into snails that hadn't been trained. Mm-hmm hadn't been exposed, and based on the other data, you'd expect them to retract for one second. Right. These these retracted, on average, for about 40 seconds. Ah, so not the full amount, but way Not the full closer. amount, but way, way closer. And on the first 
first hit. Now, the interesting part for this, um, well, obviously that is interesting by itself. That's fairly cool. Yeah. But uh, the interesting part for this is currently the thinking for long-term memory is that the memories are held in the synapses of neurons. Mm-hmm. So each neuron has thousands, tens of thousands of uh, synapses, and it's those that hold on to the long-term memory. Now, what this does is spin that around a little bit because the RNA exists within side of a cell and not in the synapse. Yeah. So yeah, the, yeah. The, guy, the guy that's heading up this research, he's had a theory for a long time, and hence why he's been looking at this experiment, in that actually long-term memory is actually held in the nuclei of the new of the neurons and not in the synapses, which obviously this data, because he's taking RNA from those nuclei, would seem to back that up. Interesting. So the the RNA is specifically from neuron cells, like from, you know, what you would call brain cells of the snail. Correct. Okay, so it is, it's not like just from anywhere. Um, No. It makes me think... Well, it made them think, and then transfer that thinking to another snap. It makes me think. Um, no, I'm just trying to, because RNA can be used as, like you have messenger RNA that's commonly used in the body. You know, that's right. one of the main functions of RNA is that it, it, it can be coded, you know, it can read DNA or whatever, um, and then it's, it's a message you know it's in the dna it's in the genetic language so it can code a message and send it to other places um so is is what you're seeing is it a memory or is it these rnas that have been created in response to a memory but then i'm with you and i don't know enough about this but then is that how memories are formed is it that rna that messenger rna that encodes the information that then yeah 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 it's, then haunts know, it. What is a thought? What is a memory? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, uh, delving into the the realm of of a snail. Yeah, yeah, snail philosophers here sitting around pondering what the nature of a memory is. No, that's really cool because I could see you could see how the RNA might, you know, be somehow interacting with stress hormones or you know the the the, the nuts and bolts of of the response to painful stimulus or something like that. And so yeah. to me it's it seems like it's one step away from the memory. Like it's it's a product of the memory. The the memory being we don't like to be shocked. They keep shocking me. I need to stay in here longer so that they yeah. don't shock me. And then you know, how do I do that? How do I enact that, you know, reaction in my body while I use this RNA goes out and it does these messages that makes, you know, in, in response to pain, the stimulus, the muscles contract and they say, you know what I mean? Like it sets off a chain, right? This is just, I don't know. I was just all off the top of my head trying to yeah. work through and what I, this could mean. Yeah. And as I said, I, I, I didn't delve into great detail with it. I sort of, I got, I, I got lured in by the headline. I'm going to be very honest. Memory transplants. I sort of missed off the snail bit as I did with the the listeners there. <laughs> um, and the, so yeah, I, I want to go away and, and probably read the paper because I, this, you know, the the few bullet points I've given you there tantalise me enough 
Yeah. Um, especially as then you, we've sort of alluded to is is the back end piece of the RNA piece. So I know when people, I'm not a neuroscientist, neurologist, and I studied it a little bit at university and I flunked it totally. So I'm definitely not a good one. But when friends or people ask me, oh, you know, how a memory is formed, it's like, well, you know, it's formed in the brain and. You know, is it the hippocampus? Maybe has memories. And, well, if you recall, um, we did a we we covered a story where they were where they showed the engrams. Remember in the brain? Well, no, where... I don't remember because I don't have a very good memory. <laughs> flash. Well, I shit, need well, some RNA transplanted into me. Yeah, from next, snails, next and time I'm okay. over in the UK, I'll give you a dose of my RNA. You smooth talker. <laughs> <laughs> but there was the story was that it's the memories are formed in one part of the brain. They were able to image it and show it and basically, right. and yeah. then it moved to another part of the brain. Another part. Yeah. Which I, I do remember the yeah. RNA theory behind that would make some sense then too. Right. Cause RNAs yeah. can travel through yeah. different parts. Yeah. So I would say if there's any listeners out there that are neuroscientists uh, and have more of a clue what I'm on about than me, which wouldn't be difficult. Um, then drops a line because I'd like to learn more. But otherwise, in the meantime, I'm going to wait. I'm I am going to go away and do some homework and read the paper. So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, and yeah. we'll find links to it all and put it up there so you guys yeah, yeah, can course. read it too. Because yeah, that's a uh, interesting one. Interesting one. Plus, yeah. now I'm just curious as to what else the snail remembers. Yeah, if only snails could talk. Yeah, <laughs> how, how shellfish of them that they don't. <laughs> Nice, nice. Thank you. All right, wow. Um, moving right along then. Okay, where, where are you taking us now? You've, you've picked up the uh, the reins again, Flash. Where are you taking us? Well, I wish I had a cool segue, but I don't know that I do. Oh, okay, well, how, just come out with it. How, just go for it. How disappointing. Um, no, my next story then is about uh, cancer. Well, you could have brought that to us a bit more gently, Flash. Uh, it's like it's sneaking up on you. Can't you? <laughs> Watch out. It's in the closet. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's out to get you. No. Well, I mean, it's, it's a fairly optimistic story, though, as it deals with cancer treatment, as most cancer science news stories often do. Um, but this is coming from the uh, German Cancer Research Center. Uh, which I okay. believe is based in Heidelberg, but uh, anywho. So the big picture of this story, the headline, if you will, is trying to find a, a map, trying to develop a map for all the different gene interactions that go on within a cancer cell. So why would you want to do that? Well, we know that, you know, genes don't work in, in isolation most of the time anyway. They... Right. You know, the effect of one gene is is determined in part by all the other genes around them. They sort of operate in a pathway. They're all sort of connected. One goes up, the other goes down, this kind of thing. So it's really difficult to um, basically find one gene in a cancer cell, use uh, develop your, your therapy or your drug to, you know, disable this one gene um, and, 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 and have the cancer cell, you know, be destroyed because all these other gene pathways uh, are going to be involved and they might compensate for that gene, um, et cetera, et cetera. And cancer is notoriously 
good at developing resistance to the therapies that we throw at it. And that's yeah. one of the things because they have these, there's these gene networks that, you know, are working in combination with each other. So no single gene is the linchpin in cancer cell survival. Um, so they wanted to really understand what all these relationships were between the genes in the, in the cancer cell. And the thing that's interesting to me about this story is that there's a, there's two sort of really interesting bits of science. They have the, the data science, the computer algorithm that's needed to sort of process the large amounts of data that go into building, uh, uh, gene mapping or mapping gene interactions in a whole cell. And they're using the oh so hot right now CRISPR system. We've been there before once or twice. Oh yeah, oh yeah, we have. Um, so what they what they did was they have these uh, cancer cell lines um, where they've, you know, basically genome sequenced the whole the whole cell. So they they know all the genes there to a very good. They have a fairly good understanding of where all the genes are, and then what they do is. They systematically, with CRISPR, the molecular scissors, they go through and they cut and change the DNA at, you know, at an exact site. And they can knock out one by one each gene in the cancer cell and then collect data as to what all the other genes are doing. Oh, looks like a podcast. You have a lovely view of uh, Bruce there. Sorry. Podcast mascot Tabby Bruce is in the picture. Um... (laughs) Yeah, so by knocking out each gene one by one and then seeing how the other ones react, they can get this like huge data set that begins to show you um, what each, which each gene is sort of connected to. If you knock out this one, this one goes down, this one goes up. How much does it, you know, the expression of it go up and down? So you get to, to start to map these interactions and that's where you need a really complex computer algorithm to put all this data together. And then they can actually put data from people doing this all over the world together with different cancer cell lines. So if everyone, you know, we each have our own cancer cell line that we're specialized in working with. If everybody does this, the computer algorithm can sort of incorporate all the data and work with all the data and start to build all these these giant maps. So yeah, I thought that was a pretty interesting story, a pretty cool approach to starting to figure out you know, all these different interactions. And you could see that, you know, beyond cancer cells, this could be an interesting approach to, you know, other, you know, model systems. I'm getting, yeah, now now Bruce is just distracting me. He's so damn cute. If only the listeners could see. (laughs) He's been distracting me because he's doing his best to try and either jump on the laptop yeah, is recording uh, the audio, or uh, at least pull it off of the chair that it's on. You might have um, to tweet out another picture of them so the, so the listeners can see exactly who we're see dealing what's going with. On. Yeah, yeah, you haven't found the Bruce. Um, well, I think so. Is this almost the next wave? You know, obviously we we've mapped the genome for the human, and we we've mapped it for other organisms, and we've mapped it. I know we started to map it for some diseases and some cancers and whatever. And I know we. The whole CRISPR thing we've talked about recently for a lot of things, you know, potentially gene therapies and gene editing and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, it, is this the next wave? Right, we've mapped the genome, and now this, you know, takes us to the next level of even more detail. Yeah, I mean, I think so, and that's, and I guess 
what I was trying to stress of, of what I found interesting about this is the approach. You know, it's like we have these tools. So how can we use them in a new way to answer a new question? Well, it's actually quite simple. You cut each thing out you know, bit by bit, one by one, create, you know, get rid of the gene and see what happens. But now we actually have the, the ability to do that with CRISPR and computing power. So as computing power gets better, you'll be better able to do this. Now, are you going to be able to do that in a human? Probably not in the near future. Again, will you know, ethics <laughs> will play a role in what you're able to do. Um, but you could think of it like fruit flies. You could start to do it in fruit flies or other order model systems where we that we already use to map sort of development. You know, yeah. um, zebrafish I think is one. You know, these kind of things where you know organisms that we don't give a shit about and we're comfortable <laughs> uh, totally messing with. But you could start to see how. So if you know, we're how the genes for if we're a Nazi in the forties, then small children. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know? yeah. It was a simpler time. Yeah. But you could you can see how you could really get a good picture of which genes are working together with what to create to to that lead to phenotypes. So whether that's disease or height or things like this, you know, this is probably yeah, I don't know. Not not to go down the road again like I always do of you know, designer babies, which I think is sweet. Uh, but yeah, there you go. <laughs> you just, you just want to design a hockey playing baby, don't you? That's basically <laughs> yeah. what you want, don't you? Yeah. Well, I mean, like you could you could start to figure out these complex webs of genes and how they work together, and totally master. It's not just a matter of cutting one out or adding one here. It's like no, you have to do all these steps because these ones are all involved in the pathway that makes you know the tree that can suck up all the carbon dioxide and clean the atmosphere, you know, whatever it is, the biotechnology of the future that we want to harness. You know, it's, it's a step down that road, potentially. Yeah. I'm now doing the bad headline of like, this is amazing, it's going to change the world. But I just, I don't know, I thought it was a really, you know, simple yet elegant well, method I for answering a question. It is, but then when you also talk talk on the, the the algorithms and the computing power, and I obviously know, you know, it was in the headlines, largely in the headlines, probably about eighteen months ago, that Google were you know getting into healthcare and using artificial intelligence to help in healthcare, and they were mining a load of patients' data, and obviously there were. a lot of controversy, around, yeah, a lot of controversy around around that. But is that you know, obviously it's all part of science. But is that the next way? You know, we have all these great biologists and physiologists. Is the next way where we bring in technology to try and do more and predict more and take it to the next level? So almost a, a fusion. And then ultimately, does that lead to uh, artificial intelligence? Yeah. Uh, yes. The short answer, yes. <laughs> I think I think it's almost the other way around though the artificial intelligence will help us master these questions because I mean biology is the best example I think at the moment of what powerful computing is doing for a field you know like we had all this biological information that we could just never even dream of processing and now with better computing power we have the ability to to get that data and make sense of it. You know, whether it was first it was genome sequencing, 
Yeah. Know, we could never deal with that load of data. And now we can do that. Now we can map gene interactions. You know, the, the omics, everything omics, genomics, metabolomics, like all these things are all based around big data. And what do you do with giant data sets and how do you get through them? Um, so biology is really at the forefront of it. I, you know, maybe there's a, a big data application for chemistry that we don't know yet. You know, don't mind going through chemical structures and finding the right uh, lock and key combinations for different drugs or something like this, you know? So yeah, I think big data and powerful algorithms and artificial intelligence will allow us to go through more of those problems. Now, will the, the problems associated with artificial intelligence and you know, patient data privacy and all that stop us before we get there? Yeah, I'm probably might be a question worth asking. Is that how they're going to cure cancer? They're just going to turn us into cyborgs. Dude, I'm down with it. <laughs> I've said as long it, as those cyborgs can play hockey, yeah. Flash is down with it's it. You like, heard it here yeah, first, ladies I've and said it. I've said it once. I've said it before. I'll take the robot legs. Give me the robot legs. <laughs> anyway. You got the chicken legs already, so. <laughs> I want to replace my chicken legs with uh, <laughs> robot legs, man. I am sick of leg day. <laughs> When was the last time you did leg day? Moving You're on. You're so sick Moving of it. You've, you've traumatized yourself, haven't you? You blanked it out. I'm, I'm, I'm not even... I'm not on trial here. Well, speaking of being sick, that's going to be the segment I take. Uh, Flash, I don't know if you're like me. Uh, you ever get the man flu? Yeah, all the time. It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah, it is terrible. Uh, the man flu, obviously, otherwise known as the common cold um, when the women have it, but man flu when the men have it, because it's a lot worse when the men have it. Um, but potentially, and I know this is muted almost as often as a cure for diabetes, potentially there could be a cure for the common cold around the corner. Obviously, it's a pretty long corner with a long road leading up to that corner and then the long sweeping corner itself, but it potentially is coming. Um, but it's coming through a different target. So... The research recently has been, or historically has been, how do we how do we stop the virus? How do we attack the virus, stop the virus from replicating, destroy the virus? How does that work? And the trouble is the common cold is actually caused by several different viruses that mutate so rapidly that you block one receptor and another one spawns, and it, it's so good at evolving around the treatments that yeah, we start Yeah, much, much like the cancer we were just talking about. Right, exactly. So, what's not as good as a virus it transforming? The good old human. So, um, slow and steady, steady and slow. Yeah. So that's the uh, way that group... humans grow. <laughs> oh, you're a poet, <laughs> and you don't even know it. Uh, so, there's a group at Imperial College in London um, that basically have been looking at rather than um, attacking the virus itself, targeting the human host itself. And what they've done is they've found a way of blocking a key protein, protein, an enzyme, in effect, that actually normally the virus cuts into the cell and it hijacks this enzyme to then force it to replicate itself. Right. Yeah, yeah. So what they've done is that actually they block that enzyme so that the virus then can't use it for its own evil good. Uh, and because we're humans, we don't evolve that quickly. So... Unlike the virus, whereas if you block the receptor on the virus, the virus would just mutate and pff, you wouldn't find it. With this, that enzyme has been around for years and years and years. It doesn't mutate, so you block it. It doesn't go anywhere. Um, what they've discovered is um, 
it's blocked. It, that enzyme is used by several different common cold viruses, not just, uh, I think it's rhinovirus is the most common. Um, and it, they've tested it on several different types and it's worked for all of them. Um, what they found is it works within minutes of giving the drug. So it starts blocking and preventing the replication of the virus within minutes. So it, what they've so is, shown... Is this a prophylactic solution? Then? Like it's like a birth... Birth control, um, it blocks you from getting the virus, or do you take it once you've no, gotten the virus? No, so, so you take it when you've got the virus. So what they what they are looking at primarily is as soon as you start showing the first symptoms of a cold or you think you've been exposed, then you would take it. So right. it's a bit like, I, I, I don't know what it's called in other countries here, I think there's a product called First Defense, which sure, I think it meant, yeah. it's meant to line the mu- mucosa in the nose if you take it quickly enough to stop the virus getting in. Right. Um, or something like that, I think. But so effectively, you would take it when you saw the first signs, um, and in in those cells, it potentially would stop altogether. What they've also seen is cells that are infected. If you give, it actually then stops the infection, so it gives the cell chance to actually get rid of that virus and let the immune system do its mm-hmm. job mm-hmm. a bit more quickly. If the virus can't replicate and gain the upper hand, exactly, the and it's the replication of that virus. You know, once if you contain it in a low enough number, then you you either don't see symptoms or the symptoms are. Yeah incredibly minor which is really what they do with with aids treatment right you know like you're just constantly taking antivirals to keep the aids virus at such a low number in your body that it doesn't you know, yeah exactly. it doesn't go above that level that you then yeah get the immunodeficiency and things so yeah. um what they're particularly excited about is well i'm sure they're pretty excited about finding a cure for the common cold but they actually i think, think they're excited t- about the the dollar signs they're seeing in there <laughs> well exactly yeah that's exactly. They, they've said that, oh we see a particularly good use for this in asthmatics because they can really suffer with the cold no i i think you're right there flash i think potentially there is a lot of dollars Cha-ching. we made on this yeah. one yeah yeah um but yeah it's been um published this week in nature chemistry so um i'll send you the link and you can put up on the uh, the website for the listeners but yeah it always I remember growing up as a kid I when I get a cold I hate having a cold and I always remember you know as a kid looking at oh when they're gonna oh there'll be a cure in the next five years yeah how well, have we not figured know. this out yeah yeah uh, and it seems you know it seems remarkably difficult I'm sure I could have fixed it within a few days if I'd have been on the problem but I've had other shit to do for the last 39 years of but, course you know of course yeah I wonder uh, though like obviously there's no side effects to shutting down this enzyme um, not in the short term, and what they're looking at is actually inhaling the drug um, to reduce the side effects even more. I think they so it would be in and out of your system quick enough. That I think that's it. I think there's it, uh, because if you turn this enzyme, obviously has a function probably in in your own cells replication. It's not going to be there just for the fun of it. Yeah, no, exactly. So you know. um, yeah. So what they what they have said is they think a inhaled form of the drug will have fewer side effects than the way that they're currently dosing. So. Yeah, yeah. Because what if it's like you end up like you take this thing and then they find out like ten years down the road it stopped the cells in your nose from replicating, so you just like. <laughs> Your nose just doesn't repair itself, or you know, or something like this. You can't, yeah, you can't smell, or <laughs> you yeah. give it to you give it to children, and then they grow up, but they maintain their baby nose for the rest of their life. Yeah, <laughs> and the face just grows yeah. around yeah. them. Yeah. It's like the anti-elephant man. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. So, I'll, 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 yeah, you know, maybe there is a cure around the corner. Um, while we've got a little bit of time left, I'm just going to have a, a quick rant about, uh, and we, oh, you alluded great. to this. Do I, we have time? Do we have time for a rant? We definitely have time. Don't press, don't press the stop button. Don't <laughs> press the stop button. Uh, 
Um, so to those avid uh, listeners of the show, so it's the 17th of May today. I can't remember if it was this morning or last night. Um, I think it was late last night. I tweeted out a story on our uh, Twittercast, basically hailing uh, the end to injecting insulin for diabetics. Um, Huzzah. Huzzah, exactly. So I, I was like, well, this is amazing. So I tweeted it out after just reading the headline, and I admit that was my mistake. Um <laughs> Hey, man, that's how Twitter works. Yeah. And then I went in and started reading uh, the article. I have to say, possibly one of the worst articles I've ever read. Um, basically, the premise of it is, and I, I'm i not sure, I, I swear I tweeted this out, but I know we talked about this earlier. But So, a bit of background. Um, currently, you know, the mainstay of thinking is there's type 1 diabetes that you inject insulin for and there's type 2 diabetes that you tend to get in later life and is more genetic disposed, you know, predisposed to, can be influenced by diet a lot more. Um, and commonly for type 2 diabetes, some people do inject insulin, but a lot of them manage it either with their diet or with um, other glycemic type drugs to try and manage it. Now, a few months back, I tweeted out a story where there's a group of researchers basically looking at type 1 diabetes to show that actually, rather than it just being one catch-all disease, there's actually about five or six subsets of the disease that all act in different ways. And actually, what they're saying is we shouldn't blanket treat them all the same way. We should treat one each subset of this individually because they're all slightly different. Um, and they were developing tests to try and predict that. And this story kind of plays on that, although it doesn't say that in the article. Um, but it tells the story of some woman in Scotland who's been diabetic, type 1 diabetic, for 27 years. She was diagnosed as a kid, and she has struggled, poor woman, for 27 years to control her blood glucose levels with injections um, until some doctor came along and went, oh, well, hold on, I'm going to test you for a rare genetic form of the disease. And bingo, hey presto, she carried the gene for that. Um, and actually, it's more like a type 2 diabetes so they've actually taken off the insulin and controlling it now with diet and oral glycemic drugs and actually now her diabetes is under the best control it's ever been in the last 27 years i know i've waffled on there but i've done more justice to that story in the <laughs> three minutes i've been waffling on. read the story i've tweeted it out people have a read but it's not until the last one or maybe two paragraphs it actually tells you what they actually did the test for in this person and what the effect of that is. And it still doesn't really then tell you much about it at all. Have a read. Flash, I'd, I'd appreciate you going to have a read. And I know I need to drop this on you tonight. Go away, have a read, see what you think. Because, you know, I respect you as a journalist. Um, not many people do, but I do. Um, <laughs> but I'm interested to know what, what you see. Because well, it was you. appalling. You're welcome. You know, you don't get much praise, but when you do, it's at a low level. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. I'll take what I can get. Um, yeah. From hey, little acorns. Hey, man, I think, you know, it, it is a theme that runs through this show a little bit is some of the errors of science communication and, you know, bad habits, we'll say, or bad trends that you see in it. Um, I will say, you know, for those reading the article, usually the journalists don't pick the headlines. That's the editors. So don't scream at journalists for headlines. It's not their right. fault. But sounds like the story itself was you know, perhaps poorly, poorly communicated, poorly written. So we could put uh, it in yeah. the hall of terrible headlines, or where's it going to go? The, the, the yeah, newly formed yeah, hall of badly written science stories. I like that idea. Yeah, let's let's hang it in that hall. 
Uh, and if listeners have got bad science, let's let's restrict it to science headlines because, like, you know, yeah, yeah, there's some hairs out there. Um, Our halls are only one. so big. There are, and actually, it's just made me think of another one that was on a main tabloid one, which is again push my buttons about diabetes. So they're introducing, they've introduced a sugar tax in the UK. I don't know if it's across Europe, but in the UK. So basically, if you have a large amount of sugar in fizzy drinks or foods, then there's yeah. an extra tax that's been applied to it. Um, and they're talking about, there was talk in the paper, I think, about massively increasing the rate of this tax. So the, one of the tabloids had uh, basically diabetes to be wiped out by sugar tax. It's like, well, no, it's not strictly it's how not diabetes... not really how it works. <laughs> it's, no, it's not really how it's caused. So... You kind of sense like so. I will add that to the uh, rant because that's kind of tenuous science as well. Yeah. But yeah, I would appeal to the listeners to uh, to send that in just to uh, yeah totally. fire our rage even more. We can, you know, we have today. We had we 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 updated our our recurring segment, the Ebola update, and now we maybe have added a new segment, the Hall of Terrible Headlines or something yet to be totally named, but we'll come up with something. So yeah, that would be fun actually to see that, um, and talk about some of those because I know we touch on it every time should, we yeah. we we do. Yeah, you're right. We should. Yeah, we should. We we could actually have a new section of the show. So that, let's let's declare it here and now. Let's put the stake in the ground. Yeah. Um, Flash, do you want me to take you on a very quick journey of where we've been tonight before we uh, we log off? Yeah, that's right. Uh, you've got places to be other than here, so so in the words. Man. Well, busy as is busy does. That doesn't really make any sense. But um, So point number one, and to, to quote you, it's back and it's bad and it's something that we've never had. It's Ebola. It's That's back. right. See what I did there? I See, like I it. be a lyrical gangster. Um, basically, we touched on uh, that some scientists are assholes out there and it could undermine their whole science. So um, I'm, I'm pleased to say, Flash, I don't think any of your science will be undermined, but... Um, you know, there are some others out there that potentially could have their work People would have to read my science first. No, that's true. Yeah. Well, let's keep that under lock and key then. Then we always... It's a bit like Schrodinger's cat. Mm -hmm. Is it good or is it bad? Well, if nobody's read it, it's neither good nor is bad. That's right. Um, I did have something here about uh, a story about memories, but I've forgotten what it was. So that's fine. And I think it was about really, snails, really. It was. Yeah. Thanks for ruining the joke there, Flash. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, from a story about the evils of cancer, we transform that into the benefits of cyborgs and how that Flash could end up with hockey-playing legs and cyborg-like tendencies and genetically engineered his own designer baby uh, to be able to play hockey and maybe win some more medals. So uh, that's kind of what we, we can think. make him better than they were before. <laughs> oh, and on that, I, I'm too young to remember Flash, which means you're too young to remember but you may have heard of a program called The Six Million Dollar Man with Steve Austin. I was just, that? yeah. Um, so by all accounts, they're remaking it. Oh, better than it was um, before? Well, that is still to be determined. Um, but obviously, six million dollars doesn't go a long way now. <laughs> it doesn't so. buy you a lot. <laughs> no, so he's now the six billion dollar man. Yeah. Inflation. So, well, yeah, I think he does that as well. I think that's part of one of his skills. <laughs> Um, if the listeners uh, like what they hear, if they don't like what they hear, if they want to throw in some of the rage headlines, um, they can do so at the show uh, on Twitter at Too Brad for You. 
they can do it via the medium of social media and Instagram if they want, at Too Bad For You. Uh, they can hit me up directly, Brit Brad, at Bradley W. Hayes on Twitter. Uh, Flash, if they want to get in touch with you, maybe read some of your science, what do they need to do? Uh, Twitter, Instagram, at Bradley Van Parrot. No, at B Van Parrot. No, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I always throw it to you to to say what it is. I was like, no, don't don't send it there. I always forget at B Van Paradigm. Yeah, that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. You can always yeah. uh, get in touch with us on our website too. Too Brad Indeed. And and somebody has, haven't they? We won't go into too much detail about that because yeah. it does or doesn't happen. But we, yeah, it does show that maybe. Well, no, maybe they've not listened to the show. Maybe they've just stumbled across our website. Yeah, but, <laughs> but the website's a, there. It is, yeah, and it showed that somebody found it at least. Yeah. So it did and give we me do, a brief. Moment. We do put links uh, and show notes as of you know four or five episodes ago. So there is content there to, to check out. To bradfordu.wordpress.com. Get in touch. Please do. Flash. It's been uh, emotional. It's been incredible as always. Uh, your room that you're filming yourself in right now is very dark and it's gone like some sort of snuff movie. Um, but you know, <laughs> that's for me to you? see, not the listeners. So, uh, well, you're soon to find out, but looks like, um, flash. It's been amazing. Uh, until next time, potentially you fancy doing this again. I, I think we could probably give it one more go before we, uh, end this thing. Well, you know, may, you know, maybe with the people that have contacted us, we're going to make our millions and then we'll retire from a, you know, a dark and dingy science podcast to the Caribbean somewhere. And then maybe we'll start a new podcast about cocktails on beaches. But until that day, my friend, until that until day. that day, the two brads for you are here and we will be podcasting more and more as we go forward. Flash, have a have a great one and I'll catch you next time. Yeah, you too. And thank you to the listeners. We'll talk to you next time. Cheers and jolly. It's the vaccines that are causing cancer. Yeah. Fuck you, vaccines. And you, Ed Jenner. Deathmongera. Who's Ed Jenner? The guy that invented vaccines. <laughs> I was like, who's this? <laughs> Ed like Jenner, Bruce give Jenner? his full name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, oh, that's Bruce Banner, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, my bad. Bruce Jenner used to be an athlete. Now she's a woman. <laughs> you can't dead name her. What do you mean? You can't call her Bruce Jenner anymore. The artist Bru- form- formerly known as Bruce? Bru- Bruce Jenner is Jed. Jed is dead. Yeah. Well, I said she. 
Yeah, but you can't use the name. You can't use Bruce. Bruce is dead. No. Oh, okay. If you if you've got Netflix, watch Ricky Gervais, and then you'll understand yeah. where I'm coming from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm like legitimately listening to you, being like, is that like what the rules are now? Because yeah, you know, with these the things, rules, I don't know what the fucking rules are. <laughs> yeah, then them's the rules, by all accounts. But yeah, yeah. if you if you watch if you watch Humanity with Ricky Gervais, yeah. he'll he'll explain it for you in a humorous way. I watched it. I think I watched a bit of it. Um, okay, yeah. well, we haven't got time for this chit chat. We've got stuff to do. Right. Okay. Sorry. You got places to be, eh? I'm a popular guy. Right. You gonna open? Or I gonna open? Uh, it doesn't matter. What do you want to do? Uh, you open, and then I'll come in with a bowler. Not literally bleeding from orifices. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Brad, it's a bowler! Uh, I'll come in with a big Ebola here. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's. Just the way my trousers are hanging. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Ready?